listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here joined by my father, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to be here. And we are also joined by Brooke Odom Figueroa and Austin St. John. Hi. It's good to have the team. It's our it's we're we're finally back in Los Angeles after I think three weeks of traveling, which has been quite a lot. We're all over the place. All right, but we Just came back home from London to a city full of sick people. So we're meeting in our <laughs> own separate little squares to try to keep everyone healthy that remains healthy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll say this. You got me sick. I got you sick? A hundred. You were rolling around London, like pretending like you didn't have the flu the whole time. <laughs> yeah, but I was on antibiotics. and, um, and the <laughs> Okay. <laughs> antibiotics doesn't mean you're, you're anti-not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But proximity is a choice. <laughs> you flew to me. I was already there. You flew to me. There's no way. Okay, so if you're listening to this and you're wondering why we sound crazy, it's because we are in different places. We're all on our computers. We are using some other version of Zoom that isn't Zoom and called Squadcast. This is not an advertisement. If it sounds good, let us know. If it sounds bad, keep it to yourself. <laughs> that's how we, that's how we grow that's how we grow we only encourage affirmation and not criticism if we hear no feedback we'll just know it sounded bad <laughs> anyways it was a um, we had an eventful couple of weeks and it's it, it, you know we started in mexico ended up in mexico city and then our last leg was london and i felt like i was living in london i was there for like seven or eight days and um, oh. It was so fun. I list all I did. All I did, Brooke. Just so you know, you're like making faces over there, hating. I thought you I meant did, living, all, like living, all, but you no, just no, meant all literally I, no, living. Like, like straight up, like it's like I was trying to do. I was like doing normal people <laughs> things, like going to the grocery store. <laughs> you were at Tesco. Like when you you just like run out of things to do, so you're like, I'm gonna go do normal things. I'm gonna get my <laughs> tires changed, my oil changed. <laughs> well, and for me, um, my my month was I went. Uh, six flights to get to the uh, British Virgin Isles and then to go from there to um, our spot in Mexico. And then I went from Mexico to LA to speak here at Mosaic on what we call Foundation Sunday and then get on the plane and fly to London to be there um, at Saints in, um, in East London. And so that was amazing to be there. We really spent the bulk of our time in East London in Shortage, in Hackney, the whole time. in places we don't yeah. usually um, uh, frequent, uh, but it was really, really, uh, a wonderful experience. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. They're, they're great, great people, great team. Uh, it was fun to be there. We hadn't been anything in years. So it's cool to be at this conference. We had said yes in 2020. Um, we did a battle ready podcast, a live session, and we're going to play that. I think next week we might, we're definitely going to preview it on, um, the Patreon first and then release it on Friday for everyone else. But yeah, we kind of figured we go into some things before we do that. Like, yeah, let's talk gotta, about it. We had a big time that. I mean, we, we did Battle big Ready time what? in the same space where Ed Sharon performed, where Coldplay performed, <clears> and where um, we hosted Battle Ready. So it was pretty exciting. And, and when we talked to our audience and asked how many of you have ever heard Val Ready or have listened to an episode, I'd say 70% of the room raised their hand and said that they were um, 
listeners to Battle Ray, which is so exciting to be in England and see if we have an audience. It was very exciting. It was very fun. It's fun to be. It was fun to be in this beautiful old church. So they're part of the Anglican Church, which is so crazy to me, Brooke. It, I feel like you would be an Anglican, Brooke. I have an appreciation for tradition and history and stained glass. You do. You do. do. You're very Anglican. But this place was cool. It kind of felt like our South Pasadena campus at Mosaic. It was it was this old, old church that I think had been around since like when, I think it was a thousand years old. No, it was 2,000 years old. No, wow. no, that was the other one. That was Shortage. That shortage. was the, the one we went to the dinner. Yeah, that's where we, that's that the one where they did the thousand years service. old. Established by the yeah. Romans in the first century. Yeah. They have a shape. They have a, the, I think yes. the first person to play um, Macbeth is buried in that, in the catacombs underneath that church. That's the other thing, Brooke. It's crazy. People walk their dogs in cemeteries. The cemeteries are outside. Hey. We got, we got, to, I've we eaten, got to talk to these people over there. I've eaten in a crypt in London. And I love it. In a crypt. Yeah, it's a, it's a restaurant a, here in Trafalgar a Square. Member. A crypt means something very different here in Los <laughs> Angeles. It does. <laughs> and um, one other really cool thing happened is the first day I was there, uh, you took me to this um, clothing store that you said was pretty cool over in East London. And this couple came up to us and they explained they were from Vienna, Austria. And they were just there on vacation, didn't know that we were going to be in London. And they recognized us because they were battle-ready fans. And so they came up, and uh, we got a picture together. And it was amazing that we were in London meeting a couple from Vienna, Austria, who listened to Battle Ready. So um, today I just want to give a shout-out to all of our global f- friends and family. And, and then I talked to someone yesterday named Sammy, who um, was a professional basketball player. And, and I was telling him the story. He goes, oh, that's what happened to me. He was, I was playing basketball in Turkey and I uh, was introduced to battle ready. And so I began listening to battle ready for the years I was there. So when I came back, I found you guys. And um, I, I don't know why, but that just excites me that there are people in Turkey and Austria and London. all Speaking over. Speaking of Turkey, we just had Thanksgiving this last week. <laughs> oh, that's a Terrible great transition. <laughs> that's a great transition. Speaking of Turkey, we, we just had Thanksgiving last week and you know what's crazy to me is that Thanksgiving dinner is so special. But you know what the Brits do? They do a Sunday roast. And they roast a chicken. And they have Yorkshire pudding. And every Sunday, these people have figured it out. Brooke, it was wonderful. I was like, this chicken is so delicious. The chicken, they had cheeses. They had, they had seltzers. They had water. They had wine. They had bread. They had did the whole thing. I think and I'm like sitting you're there. The and only I'm like, person what, who's how? been like. <laughs> I'm sitting there going like, who cooked this thing? But I will say this though: they did me dirty. They did me dirty because we we went and had Indian food because Indian food is what you get in London because that yes. is the I think it's is it it's the the um the country's dish. It's basically the, dish the official of the country. food of the British now is India. Official food of the yeah. A dish, the official food. Oh my gosh, sound crazy. <laughs> so we go have Indian food at the spot Mariah told told me about called the Shum. Ooh, it was wonderful. It's yes, great. best. Yeah, so good. I like spicy. I enjoy spicy. But you have to understand something. You have to understand something. I enjoy Mexican spicy. The spices from our blood, the Salvadorian spices, and the Mexican spices. 
I, the Mexican spices I, in your Salvadorian blood. <laughs> whatever, whatever they got, whatever they got over there with that Indian spices, that is, it's on, it's, uh, that's not okay. That gave me the was, flu. I was, I was unwell. No, that gave me something else. <laughs> and I was unwell. You, no, 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 I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. But so we go to this wonderful place. They know that we went to this wonderful place for lunch. And what do they order for dinner? at their house and i'm grateful that they invited me into their house they invited us into their beautiful home but they invited us into their beautiful home and we ate the spiciest indian food in the entire world and he's like oh you'll really love it and i was like i already did indian he was like you're gonna about to do it again two indian <laughs> dishes two indian meals in one day should only be eaten by indians that's true well i think we had a hint when we finished ordering <laughs> and the waiter who's clearly Indian, said, oh, very spicy hot choices. <laughs> he said, double oh, spicy. That was like two look, cards on the I plate. Looked at, <laughs> I looked yeah, at he was impressed that we were basically <laughs> yeah. saying, bring it on, bring it on. You're, yeah. you're doing something yeah. wrong when the waiter's impressed. Yeah. I, was, I was unwell that night. I was not okay. <laughs> He's still um, that started the trip off. <laughs> that started the trip off very weird. Um, but no, it was it was actually a wonderful trip, and it was really cool to kind of learn about their heritage and the history of the church, and to be in this space that felt so old. It was so cool, so so cool. It, you know, it still it, it still confounds me that the the boss of the rectors is King Charles. <laughs> that 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 the well, head of the it's the Archbishop. Well, I mean, you have the Archbishop of Canterbury, who is, I guess, the head of everything, but he's under King Charles, and so really, yeah, everyone's boss is the king. He's actually the head of the church, and I, no one in in their right mind believes that every monarch has actually believed in God, (laughs) or believed in Jesus, or had a personal faith. And so it's insane to me that you have an institution where the person in charge of the church may or may not actually have a relationship or belief in God. I just think that's an extraordinary um, organizational design. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if they believe they were divinely chosen by God, if they were divinely chosen, do they have to believe? Do they have to reciprocate? Or is well, them being I, chosen enough? You want okay. the head so, of NASA believing that a man actually landed on the moon. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? And I so, want the head of the church to actually believe Jesus died on a is cross. God. He died on a cross and he rose from the dead. Yes, I would like for him to believe that. <laughs> head of the church. I don't know. Call me picky. You know? <laughs> but anyway. We, we have so much to talk about today. We have, we have a lot to miss. We've missed so much, honestly. There's so much that has happened. And, and we're in the middle of the World Cup, La Copa Mundial. And we're at the beginning of the World Cup, which is the most beautiful part about November. And this is the greatest thing about being jet lagged is I keep waking up at four in the morning and just going out to my room and just watching the World Cup. It's amazing. I've seen more games this year than I ever have before. <laughs> I love it, and um, 
Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm pulling for the United States to um, do extraordinary things. And but there's just so many teams that I love watching. I mean, I love watching Portugal and Spain and and Argentina and Brazil and England. And uh, there are just so many really, really good teams out there. By the way, just in case you didn't know this, the most expensive team in the entire World Cup is England. And the, um, the payroll, I Why? think, for all the British players are, um, is it like 100 million or something like that? It's some ridiculous amount. And um, but that's not what England pays them. What? That's not what England pays them. It's what their clubs pay them. Yeah, all their clubs. Actually, I think it's closer to a billion dollars. And, yeah, um, it would be closer to a billion. Yes, yeah, closer to a billion. So England is the most expensive team in the entire World Cup, followed by Brazil. And and I just thought that was really interesting. So I, 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 I think it's going to be really interesting to see if the most expensive teams go the furthest or whether the less expensive teams are able to surpass um, the talent of – of the resource of, of the resources that are brought together uh, in this World Cup, so I, I just think it's interesting. It's a, a great a study in economics and talent. So, should Qatar have gotten the World Cup? No, amidst all of the controversies. No, let, let me let me be ambiguous. No, <laughs> uh-huh. I love the I love I love the decisive nature. I just I just think, think it's Brooke? a it's a travesty that Qatar has the World Cup. It, they did not deserve it. I think it's uh, it's a reflection of FIFA's corruption, and you know I, I think any any self-respecting person who follows the history of the World Cup knows that Qatar was not qualified to have the World Cup. And then when they spend what two hundred billion dollars to build the infrastructure for the World Cup, when the next highest would have been closer to sixteen, eighteen million. And no, no, billion, they, they spent more billion, money on this World Cup. No, than the billion, last billion, billion, billion. Yeah, it's eighteen billion. Yeah. they spent more money on this World Cup than all the modern history World Cups combined, because they did not have the infrastructure. Because they really are not qualified to host the World Cup, and and so you just have to shake your head and go, "This is really kind of unbelievable," um, but. There's just so many things about the World Cup. I love the World Cup, but there's so many things. I mean, you have Qatar in the World Cup, and you do not have Italy in the World Cup. I mean, you know, there's just so many things that to me are so counterintuitive. The stadium looks like it's from Avatar, the way of water. The stadium? <laughs> yeah, it looks like yeah. a little speedboat. And, it, looks and, like a, it looks like a turtle. And some of the stadiums That's all I know about are the built, World Cup. They're built by what are called boxcars. And after the World Cup, yeah, those stadiums will be deconstructed. Yeah, one of them, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think over like 3,000 people have died. Yeah. They've only confirmed three. Like three or four different deaths. Yeah. But, um, but outside um, analysis as nearly 3,000 people have died in building their World Cup stadiums. Yeah. It's a problem. Oh, my God. It, it, and, and, but I think FIFA's had problems for – for decades. And I don't know if they're on a, a path toward correction. Speaking of having problem for decades, having problems for decades, did, have you seen what's going on in Shanghai right now? No. The protests? In Shanghai? 
the protest. So there's like tens of thousands of people in the streets protesting against, I guess they're the against the, 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 the Chinese government, against communism because of the COVID lockdowns, because they still have been locked down. And I guess there was a building fire in this like apartment building, like a tower, and they barricaded the people inside, not letting them out. And 11 people burned. <gasps> uh, and so that people were like prying the gates from the barricades from the outside. And so there's that I think happened. And then the streets have just been filled with people attacking um, and protesting. I don't think attacking, I mean, protesting and then getting attacked by police. Um, and so it's a really interesting state that the world is in now post COVID. And, you know, can it, is it possible for a Chinese government to be overthrown by its people? It's unlikely, but I mean, when you look at uh, the nations where you're really not um, allowed to protest, China, Russia, North Korea, and a, uh, a slew of nations in the Middle East. And there's 1.4 billion people in China. That's yeah. 1.4 more than the people that run that country. Yeah, they're just not the ones with the weapons. You know, you have one of the largest um, uh, militaries in the world in terms of just manpower. And it would be very, very difficult, you know, to um, uh, to even protest safely, much less overthrow uh, a regime. And um, yeah, that's the reality is that it's not safe. It's not a safe protest. I think people are getting violently and brutally yeah. attacked. Um, yeah. But at what point does it, does it is enough enough? It, you know, it's it's tricky. We, um, you know, as a nation, the United States cannot relate to China or to Russia in the same way it would relate to El Salvador or Cuba. You know, and uh, um, How so what do you mean? You think the United States relates to Cuba and El Salvador at all? Well, you, you know, they can boycott Cuba. They can put an embargo on Cuba. Um, we can basically make Cuba persona non grata, but we can't do that China because we are in debt to China. China, we owe China more than we have as a nation, basically, it seems. And, and yeah. we can't treat Russia like that because we'll end up in a world war. I mean, the reality is that uh, when we impose sanctions on certain countries, we do it to countries that are less powerful. And uh, is for doing far less than China or Russia have done. And so even now, when you're looking at the situation in Ukraine with Russia, I mean, that one missile that went to Poland, um, you know, you know you, I mean, the one thing I heard was Biden saying, we don't, we don't know if it was Russia. And then later, no, we don't think it was Russia. Well, I think that even if it was Russia, we don't want to know it was Russia uh, because Poland is a NATO nation and we'd have to go protect it. And so the reality is that it's a chess game. We don't treat nations the same. We don't impose the same policies. We do not uh, use the same political economic force in relationship to different nations. And, and a lot of it is it's not, well, because we're unethical, it's because you're, we're, you're realistic. You cannot engage and initiate a war against China or Russia. Um, it, would not, um, it would not end well for anyone. And, and I think those are some of the, the issues, you know, that you have to deal with. I mean, when we're looking at the situation in Iran, um, we've never intervened effectively in Iran. You, you know, as a, as a nation, um, 
whenever the United States gets involved in the Middle East, it just goes badly. And you cannot impose democracy on nations that are built on theocracies. You, um, Islam does not have but the, China isn't. No, no, but the Middle East mostly is, you, you know. And right, the, but I'm saying, can this happen in Shanghai if the people revolt? Well, see, I think China, I mean, China has a division within their own government for capitalism. And so they have controlled capitalism in China. And, and that's where China's wealth has come from. China's wealth has not come from the execution of communism. China's wealth has come from the strategic execution of capitalism inside of a communist nation. And which is, to me, is, is it's mind-boggling. It's, it's extraordinary. And, you know, and so I think some of it is um, we have to realize that we have limited control over what we can do in other nations. And, um, and we need to always, like, be doing everything we can to push nations to becoming the most humane and just nations possible. Um, while we look in the mirror and keep working at making our own nation better and better. So those are my thoughts there. I just, you know, I, I, I just think it's fascinating that we see things like this happening in, in China and Russia and other places in the world. And, you know, there's, there's a paralysis of ethics. We just sometimes act like it's not happening. It's interesting, right? All right, let's move on. Let's, uh, what else we got to cover? Well, Rick Caruso was running for mayor against what seems like a wonderful woman named Karen Bass. And I'm sad. I'm muy triste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I live in LA and, uh, and I voted and um, LA is clearly in the 30 years that we've lived here um, gone spiraling downward. It is a political, economic, cultural, sociological disaster. If this is an oh, experiment, <laughs> if Los Angeles <laughs> is an experiment on how liberal political policies work in a city, um, everyone in the entire city should not be a liberal, except that everyone is. And so what's fascinating to me is Every time someone's elected who has a liberal economic political um, mindset and it goes badly, the city gets worse, they go, oh, we need to elect someone even more liberal. And then it goes badly <laughs> and they go, oh, the problem is they weren't liberal enough. And so I've been here 30 years watching the city believe that the only way we're going to fix the city is going further to the left and further to the left and further to the left. So I was hoping that Los Angeles would have a aha moment and say, maybe we shouldn't go even further to the left. Maybe we should elect another Democrat who's a little bit of an economic turn to the right and elect someone who- He is not a Democrat though, dad. Well, and, she's not and either. And that is why we liked him. No, she's a socialist. He That's right. To me, like, she's a socialist and she's a Democrat. He's a Republican saying he's a Democrat. They're both something else. But they know in the L.A. you have to be Democrat to be elected. But, but the reality is that people did not see Caruso's qualifications for making a billion dollars as legitimate qualifications 
to know how to run a city. And that to me is astonishing. What actually prepares a person to lead a city or a state or a nation? That's, I think, a really interesting question. Because right now we have a president whose entire qualifications are based on a lifetime of being a politician. President Biden never had to grow anything in his entire life. Well, it's funny that you say that, What? No, no, finish your statement. Sorry. Yeah. No, and, and Karen Bass is a lifelong politician. She may be a wonderful human being and incredibly sincere, and I hope she does an extraordinary job. Maybe I'm off point. But to believe that a life of political engagement of what we call public service are actually the qualifications to know how to transform a city is, is to me, naive at best. We had a chance to go okay. like someone who actually so, knew how to build things. Yeah, we did. We built a couple of things. We built a couple of things. We built a couple of places that I like to go every once in a while. <laughs> a couple of places like the Grove, like the Americana. The Palisades. Like the other one in the Palisades. My man's a billionaire. And speaking of billionaires, Dad, and speaking of controversial elections, while we were in London, I was jet lagged and I decided to go on Instagram. And I don't know what post this was, but I decided to, oh, it was a post on the New York Times announcing that Karen Bass had won the mayorship. And honestly, 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 this is my favorite version of myself. Um <laughs> This guy, Wendell, posted, it should have been Rick Caruso, LA is going down the toilet. And while I don't believe we're going down the toilet, I do believe we look a lot like a dumpster fire. <laughs> Literally, if you go outside, it like looks like someone lit the thing on fire and just kind of like let trash go everywhere. And this person posted it, and this woman, Danielle Bear, or whatever, posted, Wendell, Caruso was an entitled billionaire with zero, all caps, qualifications, period. We got the right mayor, period. And then this guy who's irrelevant said something. This other person who's irrelevant said something. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, and then. Well, like, she's just, getting, she's just getting roasted by these people. And then I say something. Danielle, Tenny, can I call you D? Um... <laughs> Zero qualifications, question mark. He literally became a billionaire, comma. I think there's a few things achieved along the way, period. What has Karen Bass done exactly, question mark. She took two days to respond and said, what did she say? Here it is. Oh, my goodness. She responded and said, becoming a billionaire is not a qualification, it's evidence of privilege and exploitation. No one gets that rich through ethical means. Caruso had zero qualifications for the job and thought he could buy it. The right person won. So her response didn't give a single qualification for Karen Bass. No, because liberals can't count. That's why they're about money. So I'm going to, why I'm going <laughs> to, I'm sorry. Aaron. I was just, what? <laughs> what? What? So you can be starting. 
Okay, so anyway, she doesn't give any qualifications. This is, I, I, I said something, but I think it's a really good prompt. I'll read my response later. But what do you guys think about that? No one gets rich, rich through ethical means. Caruso had zero qualifications for the job and thought he could buy it. Did he have any qualifications for the job? Are billionaires all unethical? Is money evil? Yeah, I, 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 I do think, and I talked about this this past um, Sunday at Mosaic in terms of of mental frameworks because I think it's really important, not not from the political perspective, but the idea that a person can only be rich through exploitation is actually socialist dogma. That's actually the dogma that is fed into the culture so that people will actually hate the rich. It's what happened in El Salvador. It's what happened in Venezuela. It's what's happened um, across the world. What, what socialism actually does is it convinces you that the divide between good and evil is the rich and the poor. And so if a person's richer than you, they're evil. And, and one of the things that really struck me with her response is you cannot, what, be rich without being corrupt or something like that? Being rich without achieving it by ethical, unethical means. Yeah, and so this is an interesting framework. So I don't know how rich she is. Like maybe, you know, maybe she makes 40000 a year. But 40000 a year is way more than a person in Africa or in Cuba who's making $4. And so does that make her evil because she's richer than people who are in extreme poverty? Mm -hmm. And see, where is the break point? Is 20000 now where you're evil? Or $75,000 a year now where you're evil? Or, you know, Austin and, 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 and Brooke, have you hit the break point where you're now evil because you've made Hopefully more? not. And so do Brooke's I need, for sure evil. Do I need to cut your salary <laughs> so that you can be good? I feel pretty good inside. I feel pretty good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, Brooke's for sure the bad guy. <laughs> I, can you if I'm at the breaking point. <laughs> but it's but you a see slippery slope. Yes. And so what it, it what it, it does it gives you uh, us as a, as a the human species a loophole for our lack of um, of success. You know the reason I'm not successful is I'm a good person. Uh, the reason I haven't achieved much is I'm a good person. Uh, the reason I'm not rich is because I'm a good person. If only I could be a little bit less good, then I could be a little more rich and find a better balance. <laughs> Rook, Rook, are you raising here's your the hand? Thing. I am. Because people will say like, oh, Bill Gates must be evil because he's rich. Or, you know, Rick Cruz is mm -hmm. evil because he's wealthy. But no one says like Melinda Gates is evil. No one says Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, who is worth so much money after they split. No one would say she's evil, but they're just as wealthy as the men who made the money. So is it that they can make that amount of money that makes them evil? Or yeah, is it see, just Brooke, that have it shows that you that money? people don't think those women had anything to do with the creation of the wealth. It's a terrible indictment on the, what they think about women. I don't think so. I think the government. I think. I think the judicial system would say that they they uh, they contributed forty nine percent. 
<laughs> yeah, but my point that's is what she took. She took the ego is attributed to them because the success isn't attributed to them. Yes. And so, you know, they basically hit the marriage jackpot. They got to marry into evil money and now they can do something good with it. Yes. So it's not the money. It's the success. Well, both of them in both cases, they were with them before they, they made a lot of money. Yeah, because the mental structures to know how to succeed in life, they're already inside of you before you have wealth. You don't gain those after you have wealth. And what a lot of people don't realize is that um, making money isn't as hard as becoming the kind of person that actually can create wealth or make money. That actually takes more work. And, mm -hmm. and, and we actually don't value the thinking process that is required to actually create wealth. Rick Caruso is incredibly qualified I don't know if he's corrupt or not. I don't know him as a person. And, um, but I do know. Obviously person. not corrupt enough. Yeah. Wish clearly. Would put some ballots in that box. <laughs> My man, you own the Grove. I imagine there's a printing press somewhere in there. You should have gotten the AMC theater to be print some tickets. Yeah. But what I thought was amazing is that living here in LA, I would get all these, um, all this propaganda saying, vote for Karen Bass if you're pro-choice. Pro-life, pro-choice has nothing to do with being the mayor of L.A., you know, vote for Karen Bass. And, and all these would be like Washington issues, you know, pr protect, you know, whatever, like gay rights and protect um, the right to choose and protect. I'm going, those rights aren't even in question here in L.A. And mm -hmm. they have nothing to do with the mayoral race. And so what ends up happening is you end up splitting um, this vote not based on who can actually solve the issues of homelessness and of, um, of, you know, of economic decay and who can actually generate more jobs and, and, uh, and, uh, and bring cultural turnaround to the city. And I, I mean, I hope Karen Bass does, but if she has the same approach, the same philosophy of governing that we've had for the last, you know, 40, 50 years, it's not going to get better. Here's the thing. This is my thing. My man has showed... I'm not going to call him my man. I'm sorry. He's not my man. I wish he was my man. <laughs> Rick Caruso, one, has built many a thing. Has built... He lives in real estate. Whether he... I'm sure there are things that are wrong with him. I'm sure he's imperfect. As I am imperfect. As you, Brooke, are imperfect. Just a little bit imperfect. We all have things in our lives that are wrong. What I think he has gotten right is the fact that he does, in fact, know how to build things. Physical structures, one of the hottest topics, one of the pri primary political like points in this race was, what are you going to do about homelessness in Los Angeles? Homelessness in Los Angeles is out of control. Out of control. And it breaks my heart because it's, I think it's deeper than, than just people who are um, without, without a place to live, without a house. The, the, the un, is it the unhoused? It's people who are deeply struggling with mental health and drug addiction. And it does seem like someone who has built a few different, uh, sorry, hold on. Someone's blowing me up. Um, it does seem like someone who is 
built multiple, multiple organizations and structures and has been someone who's been a part of Los Angeles his entire life. Not to say that Karen Bass hasn't, but someone who has built businesses, been a part of the politics, been a part of the police force and the sheriff's department, sat on boards, run committees, has dedicated his life to public service and also private equity and real estate. How is he not qualified? This is what I wrote to my friend, Danielle. And I just wanted, it's a love story. I said, Danielle, I said, you still haven't, what wait, was that book? Can you, can you change your voice for the love story? Do you have a different voice for a love story? No. I said, Danielle. I, I said, Danielle, you still haven't given me Bass's qualifications. In fact, numero uno. This is what I said. You still haven't given me Bass's qualifications. Just because you say billionaires are unethical doesn't mean that that's factual or even legitimate. The basis of your argument is a failed generalization. Number two, feelings aren't facts. Just because you deem the rich to be evil doesn't make it so. Three, Bass is a professional politician. Does that make her trustworthy? Question mark. Or put her in the categorical failure of the rest of our system. Period. Four, I think politicians are far more evil than the rich. That was a personal little jab. Five, building real estate, sitting on boards, development, developing funds, scholarships does, in fact, qualify Caruso. We are in the Garden of Eden of Los Angeles, and we just ate the apple. Well, I know that um, you know. decades ago, Gavin Newsom said if we gave him 10 years, he would end homelessness, and um, he did not. Checking in, Gavin. <laughs> How's it going, and, uh, Gavin? <laughs> and um, it would be wonderful. And homelessness doesn't get changed by creating politically correct, correct language and now saying they're, what is it? They're. They, them. No, no, no. House. Unhouse. <laughs> I went pronouns. Sorry about you that. You went pronouns. <laughs> Cut it out, Austin. It out. No, it's too good. It was too good. It was too. <laughs> yeah, it was too you, you don't solve you don't solve the homeless problem by calling them unhoused, because a homeless person doesn't care whether you're calling them unhoused or homeless. And you you solve the problem by changing your approach toward working with the homeless and dealing with the uh, addiction and mental illness that um, is causing this runaway crisis in LA. And this is not an LA problem. This is a national problem, but the homeless across America moved to Los Angeles. And, and so it becomes an LA problem. And it's, it, it is a problem when Aaron, you live in a house and you have to basically walk o over um, cardboard tent communities where there are meth labs and drug deals happening every day. And the police leave them there. Um, it is a problem, yeah. and our city has to address these issues, or LA is going to become um, a post-apocalyptic um, city. What? What is LA? Because we were driving back, I was driving you back to your house, and I then I drove home because we grabbed some lunch and we were talking about the podcast and everything, and. I, we were looking around, and I, I feel very grateful to live where I live. I feel very grateful to have the friends that I have and work with these wonderful people that you see on the screen here. I feel grateful for my life and not complaining on the, overall, um, on, the, on the overall of my life. But when you're driving around Los Angeles lately, 
it's not beautiful. It's not even like cute. You know, with that whole like TikTok trend, that's like, he's a 10, but it's like, yeah, like LA's a 10, but you can't go outside at night. I feel like <laughs> it's more of that TikTok. Home. It's that trend that like shows a photo of like a guy doing something crazy. And it's this audio from a Dr. Phil interview where it's like, is that your man? And she's like, yeah. He's like, that's your man. She's like, yeah. It's like people point to LA like that's your city, and we're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's dirty, it's dirty Look, and a little, a little crazy, but. <laughs> I was in London trying to get adopted. I was trying to get myself a passport. I was trying to get. I was trying to get. Let just get King Charles to let me in. I you go. You don't even want and, him to be king. I want to be king because I want to be king. Because <laughs> there can't be two of us. It's not big enough. Um, no, but it, I mean that was something that was that was remarkable. I mean, we were sitting on the east side of of London, and and that would be the more New York side, the the like the grungier, the 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 cooler, the the more you know. It's been up and coming, but it's also been gentrified. You know, they would say that ten years ago that would have been dangerous, but mm-hmm. it was pretty beautiful. Tons of graffiti everywhere, a little grimy, but it felt like a cleaner New York to me. And then you go to the west side of London or central London, and even though it was touristy, it was stunning. And you could tell that there are people who are proud of where they live. And I want to be proud of where I live. And I think there's something huge and there's something human about that just reality of like owning the space and making where you live home and being in a place where it feels like you're surrounded by chaos doesn't feel like that. Um, with that said, I think that's your closing. Do you have any closing thoughts, Steph? You want, to t- you want to say something meaningful and tie, us to get- tie it together? <laughs> no, you know, I, I just thinking about where, where, where there's some threads that we're, you know, connecting here across the, the way. But I, I think sometimes the best thing that happens in a, in a society is that an idea that's in conflict gets to play itself out. You know, maybe maybe you're wrong, right? Maybe, you know, if you have a view of uh, meritocracy and you think that makes the world better or um, and you get to play that out, you get to see, does this really work? Or if you have a view of, um, you know, of, of, of a more socialist society, you get to see it played out. And, and what we need to realize is that we actually are getting to see this played out across the world. We, we, we you know, I mean, I think 7 million people have escaped from Venezuela and um and you know and so we're, we're getting to see different ideologies played out across the world and you know as an immigrant and I, I mean i watched you know bukele all the time in el salvador getting a lot of hate from around the world because of the way that he's leading el salvador and yet um to win the battle against the pandillas the the, the gangs and in the drug wars and the gang culture and and uh, and the crime and a history of war and violence um you know it, it just takes an entirely different approach than than a lot of times our sen- sensibilities um allow for and and i i guess i just really um think part of the reason why battle ready is so important is we've got to talk about these things we have to talk about um ideologies and philosophies we got we, gotta, we need to talk about these things and challenge each other and, and and instead of saying oh i'm on the right or i'm on the left or whatever it is let's just talk about ideas and go 
does this idea work? Uh, you, you know, and and uh, and what does it look like if we follow it through and and uh, and activate it across the society? And then we just need to be advocating better thinking, higher level thinking, and and stop accepting the same solutions for the same problems that have never actually solved the problems. And, and so I, I I think today's conversation is an important conversation because I think we're afraid to talk about things sometimes in culture that uh, just need to be talked about because we're, we're spinning our wheels and we're not moving forward. And I actually think we can make great progress even in LA. Anyways, I wish Karen Bass well. I never wish anything bad on politicians that I disagree with. I always wish them well. I always want them to succeed. And I always want them to go away fast. So in this instance, I pray for a quick and speedy uh, term. But with that said, I think we need to talk about Balenciaga. Did oh, you hear about Balenciaga? I did, but I, I didn't. I, to be honest with you, I was kind of caught off guard because I get this DM from some woman that I don't know um, saying, are you going to talk about Balenciaga on battle already since so many pastors wear Balenciaga? And I had no idea what she was talking about. And one, I, I don't wear Balenciaga, so I didn't know why she was sending it to me. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah. so then I started looking around, and, and someone else then mentioned it really, really in a, um, a very thoughtful way, going, hey, really interested what you guys might say on Battle Ready about what's going on with Balenciaga and, and child pornography or you know, and I'm going, what is going on? So I started researching and looking and going, so I, I just want to respond, first of all, um, to the person who DM'd, I don't know a single pastor anywhere where is Balenciaga, so I don't know where oh, that's know coming from. And you know a few, you just don't recognize that it's Balenciaga. Well, and I don't care. Like, I, why, would, why, why, why attribute this catastrophe, this fiasco to pastors? Like, right. <laughs> You know, you just, it's, it's just almost like you always just want to throw pastors under the bus and you, <laughs> you buy it, you buy a brand. You don't know what stupid or unethical or even evil thing they're going to do later. And it doesn't mean that those people are a, a part of them. And yeah. I mean, you, you, yeah. you drink Pepsi and we, you're not responsible for everything Pepsi does, you, you know, or, you know, I yeah. mean, I got, I got, I got in a fight with someone on Instagram over the weekend because they're, they, they're a wonderful person. So this is not like an uh, attack on their character, just attack of ideas, but they had, they were riffing on Kim Kardashian's post because she, I guess she responded. She was getting called out pretty heavily. The fact that she's a big Balenciaga representative and wears a lot of mm -hmm. Balenciaga out into shows and, and she hadn't commented on it and everything. So she posted a story, Brooke, can you mm -hmm. fill us in on the story? She basically, you know, she didn't do the notes screenshot like so many people have done, but she just said she's been quiet because she wanted to talk to the team herself. Um, she appreciated that they removed the campaigns, that they issued an apology, and she thinks they understand the seriousness of the issue and it won't happen again. And then she basically just said she's reevaluating her relationship with the brand based basing it off their willingness to accept accountability for something that should have never happened to begin with. I don't know how you measure uh, taking a, like accountability, but I'm sure that she will find it in full measure and she will not end her partnership with them. <laughs> not that I can say for sure. <laughs> okay, so 
someone was pointing out, and this person's a Christian, they believe in God, and they were just ripping Kim Kardashian apart, being like, I'm so disappointed in this response, I'm so disappointed in the, in the fact that she's not severing ties and cutting things off with Balenciaga. And obviously, I, I, I think that the campaign is gross. I think the campaign is inappropriate. I don't think it's child pornography, but I do think that it is leaning into overly sexualizing children and that I'm adamantly and will forever be against. Like, you, this wasn't even, like, this wasn't the, the closest, what is it, like, this isn't the conservative version of that. This is, like, there's a few stops before this where I get really upset and really angry. And this is a version of fashion and art and expression that I think needs to die, needs to be eradicated from, from art and fashion. And I think it's inappropriate. But I do think that Christian conservatives were, um, were too quick to banish things and too quick to boycott things and too quick to demoralize the, the person and too quick to be outraged and disappointed in celebrities who don't speak out for them. And this is why. And I responded to this person saying, look, I think you're missing the point. I think she's saying, instead of canceling this person that she obviously has a relationship with, and I'm sure financial, but it also seems personal, with the creative director Denma, she got on the phone, she talked to them, she figured out what was going on, and then she responded to the world. I think it's someone going, I have a lot of power and a lot of social influence, and am I going to ruin someone's life today? No. And I, I respect the way she handled that. My response to that person was, this is Kim Kardashian speaking, this isn't like Mother Teresa. This is someone whose moral standard isn't, isn't why we like her. We, you know, I, and not that I like her, but I'm saying people don't like her because she's morally the standard for our, for our culture. Just like we like her because she's figured out how to post selfies and become famous and be some sort of entertainment. And now she's a fashion icon and now she's getting people freed off of death row. But she's not the moral standard. And I was like, you, we project these standards of Christianity and of our belief system on other people, whether they may or may not be believers as well. And their response was really brutal. It was, you know, they were like, we need to, they were basically saying, if you're a believer and you're a speaker for churches and speaker for Christians, you need to remove this false sense of um, Jesus and false understanding of Jesus that is Jesus loved, the, that only loved the lost, that he also separated himself from destructive things and people and religious leaders and celebrities and X, Y, Z. And I thought it was really interesting because it's a, it's an, it's, she's someone who's intelligent. She's someone who works with like, luxury cars. My response to her was, do you hold the same standard for the Ferraris and Porsches that you, set, that, 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 that you sell as you do for Kim Kardashian that you just watch and are entertained by? Because the owners of Porsche were Nazis and related to Adolf, were in relationship to Adolf Hitler, and that's still owned by the Porsche family. And I'm sure a lot of Italian brands were pretty similar as well. Obviously, those people were genocidal and evil and destructive towards the world and whether they were connected or disconnected you're still selling their cars but now it's five generations later so it's disconnected from it my argument was basically going we demoralize people and demonize people based on a set of moral standards that we project on them that are a personal standard and i and then we don't actually copy and paste that to every avenue and area in our life how do we become i don't know i don't know what my question is i'm just ranting Actually, I, th I think that's a really interesting um, nuance uh, because if she's selling Ferraris, she doesn't 
um, she probably doesn't um, evaluate the moral temperature of each customer she's selling to. She's going to sell to really bad people so that she can sell a car and, uh, and not even blink an eye. And then she's mm -hmm. not responsible if that person leaves with that Ferrari and drives drunk and kills someone. And, mm -hmm. and the reality is that um, we're all interconnected in these moral choices. Now, you know, when you, when you have a campaign like Balenciaga, I think it's, it's so, um, one, I just, I really do put this in a category of evil because whenever I see an attack on innocence, I actually uh, put it in the category of evil. And um, mm. because evil wants to destroy innocence. And that's why it's so oftentimes targeting um, our children. And so for me, there's like, you know, I'm, I'm with you on this, Aaron. There's like no room for anything like this in the world. And I know we all hold the same, the same position. But I do, I do think you have an interesting point because I think Kim Kardashian's whole career started in an incredibly immoral way. And if I remember correctly, I, I'm a little vague on some of the details, but, and um, it seems to me that she became famous for being immoral and has actually, in many ways, adjusted her life from where she started uh, to where she seems to be a better human being than the way she began. And so it is odd to me that people look to her as a moral compass. And, um, I, I, I do think that's sort of absurd that, you know, I mean, we should look to each other. Like, you know, if you're offended and if you're incensed, you speak out like, and you say something and, um, but we're in a culture right now where we try to get everyone to say what we want them to say. And, and I think that's kind of bizarre too, along the way. Um, I don't understand how this. I wish be Christians would get as outraged about the bad theology that's preached and the weird spiritual nature in which the worship services are conducted as much as they are at these situations. I don't hold lost people to the same standard. I hold people who believe in Jesus. Yeah. And yeah, I, not to say that this campaign isn't wrong, but I think the, the contradiction, the hypocrisy of in the nature of our calling out, I think is ridiculous. Yeah, well, well, now you're not even talking about Balenciaga. You're not talking about the campaign. You're talking about how other people are responding and reacting to it if they're meeting your standard of, of um, uh, you know, in, in their response. And, and that's a whole different, you know, conversation. Um, I don't. That is the conversation. I just this is what this podcast is about. It's about the things and then what people say about the things and then what people say about the things that people say about the things. Yeah, I just would have never thought about being mad at Kim Kardashian because she had an inadequate response. I, I, my brain is still trying to wrap around that going, when did she become Mother Teresa? When did she become Michelle Obama? When did she become the person people are looking to for moral leadership? I mean, I'm going it's so crazy. We're out of our minds. <laughs> and uh, Let's hold Balenciaga accountable. And uh, let's let's speak into this so we can somehow bring this kind of um, destruction of innocence uh, to an end in the fashion in the world of art. And by the way, it's one of the reasons I think it's so important that we are in the world of fashion, uh, because um, in the end, people end up revealing what's really in their hearts. And um, and and which struck me that someone actually thought this was a good idea. 
that someone actually thought this this was the campaign of all campaigns for um, for Balenciaga that this would help their brand. And in some sense, I am so grateful that we are now in a place where this is not helpful to the brand. Mm -hmm. That um, that this is destructive to the brand. And so I actually think that's a, a really positive note um, that so many people are incensed by it and that um, they're not getting away with it. And, and I think it's amazing that they're suing the marketing company as if they didn't have to go through an endless series of steps to get that whole campaign approved. Um, yeah, it's, it's very confusing when those situations, right? Because it's like either Demna is the creative director or he's not. And if he is, he's looking at that marketing campaign. And if he's not, then he's not doing his, then if he's not, if he's not actually the creative director, then it's really telling there because it's like, okay, well, who was actually responsible for this? Because if you are the creative director, you are responsible for what you're, what is like forward facing to the world. Maybe you're not seeing every single like look and every single thing, but really that is kind of what you get called out to do. And in a company like that, there's people who look over success, uh, accessories and who look over handbags. It gets really broken up into all these different departments. But I'm going, if you're the, like, at least for my time at YSL, Yves Saint Laurent, when, when stuff got put out into the world, it was shot by Hedy. Hedy was in the room, who was the creative director, Hedy Slimane. It was getting approved by the creative departments. There wasn't anything leaving the building with Saint Laurent on it without him knowing. You know, and then when something did happen, like, you know, something bad happened or something got, you know, posted in a way he didn't like, heads rolled. And you found out about it. I mean, there were Kanye West songs written about the drama that was happening at St. Laurent because of the, 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 the controversy and the Kim Kardashian stuff back then. And it's like, to see this happen, it feel, to me, I'm, I'm more cynical that I'm going, I feel like they did it on purpose. I feel like this is a gigantic stunt for them to get back on top. They had Kanye West walk the runway that was a really bad look for him. He made a ton of anti-Semitic statements. And then all of a sudden, six weeks later, it's followed up with this really controversial, really disgusting, grotesque over-sexualization of children, which immediately changes the subject from Kanye from the original conversation to like the next thing. And not to say it's a big conspiracy, but it does feel like brands really do move from controversy to controversy versus success to success. And that's why I really do respect brands like Fear of God who go one, I'm not going to, and fear God's, I don't think perfect either. I think that every brand has stuff that is annoying or whatever, but I think fear God's unique. Like they don't put out stuff every year. They're not wasting resources. He's trying to give people stuff that people can actually afford by doing essentials. Like he really has created a way to bridge the gap between the audience and, the, and his fans and the people who respect what he's doing and the high end luxury base. People like Jacques Mousse, who I'm probably saying that wrong, but you look at any photo of Jacques Mousse, whether it's over-sexualized or a little bit like um, feminine at times because he's a gay man, but it's beautiful, it's stunning, it's colorful, it's inspiring. It's the opposite of this. You look at Balenciaga's last few seasons. I watched the Balenciaga show in the office with one of our art kids, two of our art guys, and we were like, this is so dark. Like, this is so destructive. Like, do you, of course this is a product of the creative direction. This is what this is what was born out of the last show. Google the last show. It's so heavy. It feels like aliens invaded Earth. Like it's just some like evil looking stuff. And it sh does show that like 
what is birthed out of darkness is more darkness, right? What is birthed out of light is positivity, joy, and patience, and kindness. And not to over-spiritualize it, but this does feel like a dark manifestation of what is going on in that company and that guy. And BDSM and like very over-sexual drug innuendo culture is at the core of fashion and it really is a dark thing in a dark place and it needs to be talked about and it needs to be addressed and we need to be avoiding it you know Mm -hmm. or creating the antithesis of it yeah creating things that are expression of joy and courage and integrity and honor and uh i love that you know and i want to be a part of that and i want to inspire other people to create so much better and um, it, it's interesting. Um, I don't even know if I have it, but I was in a conversation with, with my friend John Gordon, and it kind of connected to this. He, he asked me um, about, about the counterfeit, about the fake. He said, uh, why is there always a fake version of everything? And uh, he said, you know, there's fake fashion and, you know, luxury fashion. There's... Uh, he said, they're fake friends and real friends there, you know, uh, and he was just going through these different things that are fake. And I said, well, it's, it's because um, evil cannot create, so it can only counterfeit. Uh, evil can't imagine, so it can only imitate. And, uh, and, and I said, if, if, if the evil one could have created something better than God, he would have created it to woo us away from God. But he was mm-hmm. incapable of creating and so all he could do was corrupt. Mm. And, and then he asked me later, he goes, well, then doesn't it seem like, well, that evil seems to know how to tell a better story, <laughs> you know? And uh, they, they, to, they convinces people that the fake is the real. And that's when I responded that um, when evil tells a better story than us who are declaring the good, we have failed in our calling. And, and I think this is a part of it is that, you know, there are going to be voices like Balenciaga and what happened in this particular campaign um, constantly. And if they're more creative than those who are advocating the good, to me, we are guilty for... Um, for allowing them to actually establish the standard of what people think is beauty and, ta- and, and, uh, and art and fashion and style. We need to be the ones who create the better story, the better art, the better fashion, the better stories. And, um, and so that they become irrelevant to the human story. Hmm. It's so interesting, right? Like I really think that's something that's so true. Um, I love what you said, Pastor Erwin, when you, when John Gordon posted that, I just thought it was so like profound and so true that good creates and evil corrupts. And when you look at like the narrative of good, um, I feel like the, the narrative of good in fiction, like throughout so much of fiction, so much of the success in fiction emulates the story of God and the story of Jesus and the story of a savior and of good triumphing over evil. And people want that narrative. They want that story. They just don't always associate that story or that goodness 
with Jesus. And I think the, the lie or the corruption comes not on what good is, but on who Jesus is, which then obscures the good that he creates in us. You know? Mm-hmm. That's what I thought when he said that. Mm. No, it's good. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's even true all the way to the core of the conversation about who Jesus is. And um, because it sounds so noble and so um, welcoming and inviting to say, hey, I, I think Jesus is a great teacher, you know, or I, I just think Jesus taught great principles, or I think Jesus was a great philosopher. Because it sounds like it's a compliment, but you're actually diminishing the truth of who he is. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're, you're, you're actually corrupting who he is because he, he actually said he was God. And mm-hmm. so you can't say a guy who says he was God is a good person if he's not God. <laughs> you, can't, you cannot <laughs> say a person who said that he was God was a great teacher if he's not God. In fact, the only thing you can say about a person who says they were God and uh, lived a life of evidence is either he is God or he is a fraud. He's either the real thing or the fake. There is no in between of he's a really good fake. You know, he's a really helpful <laughs> fake. He's a, you know, he's a fake that inspires me to live a better life. And, uh, <laughs> Jesus didn't actually allow us to create a spectrum about him. Uh, he um, allows us to either accept him as true or, or as false. And, and maybe that's because he understands that evil imitates it corrupts, it distorts. And so all you need to do is just change Jesus' message just a little bit, and all of a sudden you have something really destructive. And that doesn't change your life. Yeah. Also, people just need to do more research on the brands that they buy. Yeah. That's a huge thing. Is that if you, you know, go for That's a book. tricky. That's like minority report level, though. Like, if I, you know, no, listen, listen, listen. If I buy something from H&M today, look, (laughs) I know H&M is shady. They can have their green eco label all they want. I know that somewhere the sweater I'm wearing was probably not made in the best, most ethical or like ecological way. I know that. But if you buy it from a company that people trust and then five years later that company is embroiled in scandal or is like, you know, not to dramatize it but like overtaken by darkness (laughs) but i still wear that sweater then it looks like i've allied myself with them in their darkest period instead of when they were still neutral or good you know so when she started this relationship with dema years and years before it's like um it's like the brands that stood by kanye you know it's like well we knew them when and it just the scale just keeps the hue just keeps getting darker and darker, and it's like, at what gradient do you pull out? You That's know? such a great point, because if you have a Jesus is King sweatshirt for when Kanye was all about Jesus doing Sunday service, yeah. now are you, like, supporting Kanye the anti-Semitic because you're wearing Jesus the King? Or you know? Kanye the creative director of the Pornhub Awards. What? What? Yeah, Google it. Yeah. I'm not Googling Google. that, but 
Oh my goodness. You're joking. Oh yeah, that one of that dead. Don't Google it. My bad. Don't Google it. Don't actually do not Google it. That'll but give you a search history. I don't want to Google it either. That will change your life. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Kanye West. Mosaic will reclaim my computer. Uh, I know I'm about won. to get Wait, he he signed up to yeah, be the creative he was director. The, he they was have the creative, He was the creative director of the inaugural Pornhub Award 2018. So he went through all of his like faith stuff after that. But like Christians, this is I think Kanye is an interesting figure in this because Christians are notoriously judgmental, and they will turn on you faster than anyone in this world. And we've seen it with all these pastors that have fallen apart. We've seen it with we've seen it with lots of things in this world. But Kanye is a really interesting thing because the the evangelical world really forgets real quickly how dark of a past he really had. I didn't you know? know that. And yes, and I'm not judging Kanye. I'm just saying like people don't know it. And people don't listen to it and people don't read because you don't, you know, and it's not to like dig up every bad thing about a person, but it is like understanding. Like I bought one of the Jesus is King things and I gave it to some friends because I don't wear stuff like that. But like, I know friends who would really love it and people were pumped on it. I knew what I was buying. I was buying a redemption story, a redemption story. Who's probably going to go needing some redemption again. (laughs) Redemption, the sequel. It's this ideology of once you've given your life to Jesus, everything changes. That has not been the fact in my life. I've I've still needed forgiveness. I've still needed cleansing. I've still needed God to help change the things that were wrong in my life. I don't really know a single real Christian who got saved one time and never did another bad thing in their life. I think the level of bad thing is different. I hope we're all living better than we were. But I think we tend to erase that person's history. We clear all. And then once they do, they live more life. And they go, ah, well, this was bad. And well, this was bad. Well, this was bad. But you're, but you're a Christian now. So now there's no forgiveness, even though there's continual forgiveness. That's where, I, that's where I'm at in my head. Because I'm going, I don't feel perfect. There are, there are seasons of life where I feel worse than when I, when I was before God. And I'm like, how do I... How do you continually find that forgiveness and that safety? But how do we keep giving it to each other? Because that's the biggest issue is I feel like we don't give it to each other in the Christian community. And that's what makes me really nervous is how long can you last in a place where you're only as good as your last sin? What was your last confession? I don't know how we got here, but we're here. Well, I think that's a good point. But I also think it's more true on the way people catch on to things with celebrities with celebrities we love writing their moments of conversion and redemption and then we throw them away the moment they don't live up to our expectations and then if they end up being a bigger celebrity we forget and we bring them back in later (laughs) because we're really more attracted to their celebrity than we are to their transformation we treat people who are not celebrities the opposite we never forget the bad things they do we don't highlight the good things they do. We don't let them get past their past. And we're always trying to haunt people. Because the, the problem, of course, you know, Brooke, is if you wore a sweatshirt with a brand on it 15 years ago when you were in college or in high school, and then 15 years later that person does something super corrupt, someone can go and find that photograph of you on Facebook and say, you see, there she is, she's a leader, she speaks, she's a spiritual voice, and look, there she's wearing this corrupt brand. 
And as, as if life isn't actually a series of experiences that are mm -hmm. not all in the same moment. And, and that's to me, what we're even talking about on the whole here is that, um, we shouldn't over respond to a moment and we need to be wiser uh, uh, and be a part of the larger story. And like for me, uh, I don't know the creative director of Balenciaga, but he desperately needs Jesus in his life. And uh, he, he needs, you know, for, for anyone who saw that, that photo shoot and thought this was healthy, that person's got some deep, deep wounds and some deep pain and some deep darkness that has seeped into their soul, probably in childhood. And, and they may be more trapped than you, you could ever imagine. And, and um, it, <laughs> I just finished watching this movie with um, Will Ferrell and um, Ryan Reynolds. It's, uh, I was going to ask. It's a party. You watched some terrible things. It's a musical. And um, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> but, Spirited. Spirited. It's Spirited, yeah. But no, this is going to connect. This is not a random tangent. I was going to so, bring it up. The whole theme of this musical is, is anyone irredeemable? And can an irredeemable person change? And the entire story is about really God's intention to go after the most irredeemable people and prove that it can be redeemed. And, you know, he may be one of the best theologians in the world uh, because Will Ferrell in many ways got it right. <laughs> and uh, um, that there is no one within God's capacity to redeem. All a person has to do is choose uh, to um to be different, to begin anew. And so I'm watching, I'm watching this musical. I can't believe I'm actually in it, except I'm, and I'm a soft touch for any story that's about an irredeemable person being redeemed. And, um, and, and I think that's the conversation too, that maybe needs to be had. Um, whenever, if you're a follower of Jesus, the, whenever you start condemning people or judging them, I mean, you should be fast tracking to, um, how do we pray or or, um, or help that seemingly irredeemable person be redeemed and, uh, and be free so they can also live a life of hope and, uh, and love and freedom? Here's, here's, here's my like, feedback to those Christians. We're creating such a toxic place that I don't even think I want to be involved. And it's like, imagine what people who don't know God want to to like imagine what people who don't know God feel. Imagine how they feel. Do you think they want to be associated with us when all we're seen doing is just throwing stones and calling for canceling and calling for destruction of people who don't know God? Obviously Balenciaga, but like there are reasons why I don't buy Balenciaga, why I don't buy Rick Owens, why I don't buy certain brands, why I don't buy White Cell anymore. Like there are reasons. Not one, not because it's just insanely expensive, I can't afford it. But two, there's some stories there that I don't like. There's some history there that I don't, feel, I don't feel comfortable with anymore. These guys are humans, and they are stuff. And it doesn't mean that I judge their work based on it. Like, I think they're brilliant in their own way. It doesn't mean that darkness isn't brilliant, but it doesn't mean that I'm buying it. And so I think it's, it's much better to 
to find people whose story that you can feel um, proud of, right? Mm -hmm. And to support people who may be in a dark place, but bring light into their world. Me buying those shoes or that jacket doesn't necessarily change their world. It just makes the stockholders more wealthy. I'm looking for real art. I'm looking for real sustainability. I'm looking for people who have a narrative, have something to say. Doesn't mean I'm not going to buy from a guy who's who may who may have a different sexuality than me, or buy from someone who may be darker than I am. Um, but it does mean that I am going to like make sure there is a story to tell inside of that. And and what you do wear does tell a story, whether we like it or not. Um, so I think instead of calling for the destruction of Balenciaga, I do think we. You know, I'm mixed on it because I do think there's there is health in going like, hey, look, this is inappropriate. We're not going to stand for this. And two, you know, let's also take the spotlight off of them. Let's stop paying attention and stop caring so much what Kanye and Kim care care about. Let's find some other people and tell the story of those people. And and also notice they find these ways to stay into the media. They're always in the media. They're always in the front spotlight. There is a reason for that. And finding people who maybe don't look for the spotlight, but just are wonderful humans who deserve the attention um, and the financial backing. With that said, I think we've talked for like two and a half hours. <laughs> well, it's so been a good session. Wrap this up. It has been a good session. I'm happy we're back. We didn't even get to the World Cup or get to um, a couple other things. So we got to do a second episode this Who's week. Who's going to win the World Cup? Here? Quick prediction. Who's going to win? It's going to be Brazil or Argentina. I No, no. It's going to be Brazil or France. I want Argentina to win because I want Messi to win. I'm sorry to all the Mexicans who love me and I love them. I want Messi to win because I think he is the best player to ever have lived. Brazil is going to win or France is going to win. Austin? I with Aaron. I hope Argentina wins. After that, I don't really care. Brooke, do you have anything about soccer? Nope, no idea. I'm, I don't need to predict. <laughs> <laughs> just pick a country in the world. United country. States. Oh, she's We're picking United States. That's it, good. That's good. It's the way to go. Be a homie. And, um, you know, I, I, I want Messi to win a World Cup uh, because I do think he is the greatest athlete alive on the face of the earth. And, um, and so I would love for him to win. And I know that's really tricky with all of our Mexican friends right now. But um, but Messi to me is iconic, and um, I think that Portugal, France, and Brazil are like the strongest, probably you know, and uh, in the World Cup. So I'm I I, I think I pick like Portugal and maybe uh, Brazil, and then I don't know. I'm, then I think Argentina is going to slip up and win. All right. <laughs> all I hope, all I hope for is that God comes down and kisses Messi's feet, and not out of a sign of adoration, but a sign of a blessing. That God comes down and kisses his feet, and and gives him and gives him Holy Spirit feet, and he goes. This is the craziest spiritual thing I've ever said in my life. But all I all I'm saying is that I hope I hope I hope that the world knows that God is on Messi's side. <laughs> It's so funny to me that God would come down, skip his head, and swoop to the feet, and then just. <laughs> Why, Brooke? Did Jesus wash their feet. I know, I know. It just—I guess I'm picturing a vertical 
<laughs> and the same goal, thing you know? that happened when Moses was in the presence of God when his face shone, I need Messi's feet to shine. <laughs> I need him to have to wear little veils I'll... over his sapatos. Oh my God. All right. I think we're done. Hey, man, it's been good being back okay. together and doing battle ready again. And, and for everyone who follows us on Patreon, I just want to thank you guys so much uh, for joining us yes. and supporting us and uh, uh, helping us make this happen across the world. Aaron, you want to say good night? Yeah, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. We're so grateful that you guys tuned in. It's honestly, it feels great to be back in Los Angeles and it feels great to be back with the team. Um, we love you guys all over the world, especially our, our our team in London that we got to just see and spend some time with, which we're really grateful for you guys. Thanks for coming out. Um, first and foremost, this is a podcast for open ideas. We reserve the right to change our opinions, to change our minds, and to go back on the statements that we said. But with that said, we really do love coming here and having that open train of thought. So go right and review the podcast if you're on iTunes. Um, give us five stars on Spotify. And you can comment and hit subscribe on YouTube. And we have a Patreon. So if you want to subscribe, subscribe. And we'll have some new episodes up there in the next couple of weeks. Thank you for being patient with us in the month of November. We are coming back strong. See you guys soon. All right. Take care.